You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 will be in verses 14 through 18 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, 14 through 18. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christians are thrust into a spiritual war. And our enemy, as we've talked about last week, is not one of flesh and blood, but it's the devil and his cosmocrats of darkness who conspire and work together to destroy God's people. Throughout the world, these darkened powers are at work, blinding the eyes of humanity to the truth, destroying uh, the lies of God's image bearers, and attacking God's people who seek to walk as children in the light who expose the deeds of darkness. So though most of the world is oblivious to this holy war taking place in the realm of the spiritual world, as Christians, We have to recognize our enemy, and we have to identify his schemes, and we have to withstand his assaults. So as Paul urges the church in in verse 10, we have to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And we learned last week that the way that we receive God's strength for this battle is through receiving the armor that he provides us. We have to equip the full armor of God. And so Paul uses the illustration of a Roman soldier's armor as a metaphor to urge us as God's people to be prepared and ready and defended for the battle. But you know, in our age of modern warfare and technology, we read a passage like this one of ancient technology and we think it's kind of silly and kind of ineffective. Why would I want a belt of truth when I can have tactical camouflage? And how about a bulletproof vest instead of a breastplate of righteousness? And why not an armored tank instead of a helmet of salvation? Or an M16 instead of a sword of the Spirit? But even though our iron shield might not be an adequate defense for a drone strike, The image of the Roman soldier's armor provides a timeless description of what it means to be fully equipped by God's armor. Every generation must equip it. Every generation must put it on. Paul spent a large portion of his ministry under house arrest, which means that he had an up-close view in his chains being chained to a Roman soldier wearing the full armor. 
Perhaps as Paul even pins Ephesians, he does so with a fully garbed Roman soldier in front of him for inspiration as he writes these words. So in preparing for the Ephesians for the defense against Satan's schemes, Paul urges them to put on the whole armor of God. And he mentions six pieces of equipment. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and six, the sword of the spirit. So this morning, we're going to look at each one of those pieces that we might equip it properly and correctly and be ready for the spiritual battle that awaits you this next week. So let's first think through the belt of truth, the belt of truth. The belt might not seem like an important piece of a soldier's equipment, but it actually was essential for the soldier to be combat ready. Because not only did the belt hold the weapon of the soldier, hold the sword, but it actually helped the soldier draw up his long tunic and cinch it tightly. And this allowed the soldier to be able to move his legs with complete freedom so he could fight unencumbered. So as the ancients said, a soldier needed to gird up his loins in order to fight effectively. The belt made that possible. So a soldier might have the thickest shield. He might have the sharpest sword. He might have the most advanced training and be the highest talented soldier in the army. But if he did not have a belt to tighten around his waist, he would die by clumsiness. And so as Paul recognizes this critical piece of gear, he applies it to the Christian as the belt of truth. Now, the belt doesn't function like Wonder Woman's lasso of truth, which compels those entrapped within to speak the truth against their will. No, instead, the, the belt of truth is a, a defensive accessory for the soldier. It secures its wearer, and it makes the warrior combat ready. So Christian commentators from the earliest centuries understood that the truth here refers to the revelation of God in Christ and in the scriptures. Paul tells us earlier in Ephesians 4, you might remember, that the truth is in Jesus. So our lives as Christian soldiers need to be shaped and bound by the truth. So to combat the devil's scheme, we need to tighten the belt of truth around our waist. So is God's word, is the truth of scripture, is that what shapes your view of the world? Does the good news of Jesus shape the very focus and trajectory of your life? Are we constraining our behaviors and our attitudes and our aims in response to the truth of the gospel? You see, Paul's heaviest concern at the very end of his ministry was the sad reality that he says in 2 Timothy 4, that people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into silly myths. How, how does Paul tell Timothy to fight against our human propensity to wander from the truth? You might remember what he says. He charges him in the presence of God in Christ Jesus to preach the word. You see, the, the Christian readies herself for spiritual battle by tightening the belt of truth around her waist. 
So therefore, as God's people, we must saturate our lives with the truth. We must submit ourselves to its preaching. We have to read the scriptures. We have to study them intently. We must meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. So let me ask you this morning, do you find yourself struggling in a spiritual fight? Do you sense that Satan, even now in your life, perhaps has the upper hand as you face discouragement and temptation? Perhaps the belt of truth around your waist is too loose. You have not tightened it snugly, and therefore you fight awkwardly against a skilled opponent. What you need to do is to pull the belt of truth tightly around your life. It's the constraint of God's word that enables us to fight with greater freedom and skill and precision. The binding of God's truth isn't a ball and chain limiting your freedom, but a belt of truth to gain further freedom. Whether your battle is against an unbiblical worldview that allures you, an ongoing sin that entices you, or discouraging despair that immobilizes you, it is the truth of God that will strengthen you and make you ready to fight in such moments. Because if you do not bind your conscience to the truth, then what's going to happen is we're going to find ourselves clumsy in the fight against the world, and our fight against the flesh, and our fight against the devil. Without the truth of God tightened around you, you fight a demonic warrior in a burlap sack. You're not going to make it very far. The darts of the enemies will quite easily slay you and pierce you unless you stand ready to fight with the belt of truth tightened firmly around your waist. But in addition to a belt of truth, the second piece of armor Paul mentions is the breastplate of righteousness. This is the second piece. In the battle, a soldier's greatest threat was a fiery arrow that would be shot from a distance. Now, the soldier had a shield for protection, which we'll talk about more in just a second. But what if an arrow happened to get by the shield? Well, if that was the case, then a soldier could be sniped from a distance without ever having the opportunity to fight. The breastplate was the protective armor, and it protected the, the wearer from the assault of arrows by covering the vital organs of the torso from the arrows piercing. So if an arrow hits you in the body, that your heart would be protected by the breastplate. And here, Paul tells the Christian soldier to put on the breastplate of righteousness for protection. Often in the Christian life, you will bear a blow of the enemy's attack, perhaps due to your lack of skill in the fight, or perhaps you just weren't paying attention, weren't attentive. And what is it when those moments come that ensures our spiritual survival? Well, it is righteousness, righteousness. The Christian has received an imputed righteousness from the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the cross of Christ, Jesus takes our condemnation and he gifts us with his righteousness, his armor. And so by faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the breastplate of perfect righteousness. Our standing before God is secure because we are protected, protected by Jesus's perfect righteousness that has been credited to us. Our standing before God is sure 
So when Paul uses the term righteousness in his letters, he frequently uses it in reference to our justification, what it means to be justified before God. And so the righteousness of Christ is the ultimate defense for a weakened and wounded conscience. We have to remind ourselves that we are no longer condemned before God on account of Jesus. What better defense is there than to be cloaked in Jesus's righteousness? What more substantial confidence and guarantee could we have in this fight than to know that we have sure standing and acceptance before God on account of Jesus? Our imputed righteousness is a great defense against an enemy who seeks to accuse us and slander us. Isn't that exactly what Satan does? The Hebrew name Satan means adversary. And the Greek term devil means slanderer. And one of Satan's great grand schemes, his greatest schemes against a Christian is to cause the Christian to forget his breastplate of righteousness so that his accusations might pierce us more fatally. But the Christian life is one of ongoing, growing in righteousness that we have already received by Jesus. For the last half of Ephesians, we've been seeing over and over again that Paul talks about how we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We receive this righteousness, but we must walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so as we conduct ourselves with godly living and godly character, a righteous life protects us from the temptations that come our way. Paul told us earlier in Ephesians 4, 24, he says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So putting on righteous living as those who have been made righteous by faith in Jesus, that provides the best protection against temptation and the flesh. Commentator G.G. Finley said, the completeness of pardon for past offense and the integrity of character that belongs to the justified life are woven together into an impenetrable male. So Christian, are you watching your life carefully? Are you living carefully in a manner worthy of your calling in Jesus Christ? Because with the breastplate of righteousness, we have to to guard our hearts with all vigilance because from our hearts flow the wellspring of life. So ensure that you possess Jesus's righteousness by faith, and then seek to live out that righteousness in your conduct. And as you live out this righteousness, it will provide added defense against Satan's schemes. There's a third piece, and this is the shoes of peace. Verse 15, you know, wearing the right footwear for the occasion is an important skill in life, isn't it? You don't want to go wear flip-flops to go play football. Probably not the best idea. And you probably don't want to wear Crocs to a five-star restaurant, right? Also not a great idea. So Paul tells us that the Christian is to wear the proper footwear. The proper footwear. What's the right footwear for the battle? And so Paul tells us in verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Paul refers here to the Roman soldier war boot called the caliga. It's a half boot. It was an item explicitly engineered for military combat. The sandal was made of leather, had an open toe design, 
and it was wrapped with straps around the ankles and the shins, and the sole of the sandal was studded with nails to help the soldier firmly put his foot in the ground, almost like a cleat. And so the shoe was not designed to be fast, to have speed, but the shoe was designed to be able to firmly anchor your feet to the ground, holding the line as a soldier as you ever so slowly march forward in the battle. So it is the advance of the gospel, the gospel of peace, that makes the Christian ready to hold the line and to advance the kingdom of God. Our peace with God through Jesus Christ gives us firm footing as Christians. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The shoes that we ought to wrap around our feet each day are the shoes of gospel-produced peace. The peace of Christ is what keeps our feet from slipping when the enemy pushes against us. We, we must put on our gospel shoes by letting the peace of God guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The gospel of peace prevents us from slipping and falling by our shifting emotions or by our crippling anxieties or by our fretting worries. If your Christian life feels a little unbalanced and uneasy, perhaps like a baby giraffe on roller skates, you need to put on the right shoes. You need to put on the shoes of the gospel. That if your Christian life is unstable, being pushed around by your emotions, by your circumstances, by your suffering, by your trials, then you need firm footing, friend. You need the shoes of the gospel, the sandals of the gospel of peace that might fix your feet to the solid rock and ground from which we can fight the devil securely. Without the slide-proof gospel shoes, we fight an enemy like we're having spiritual vertigo. And in our dizziness, we can make, make ourselves just a really easy target for the devil. The gospel of peace is what makes us ready to fight, makes us prepared to advance the line. It makes us eager to keep marching forward. So much of Paul's teaching on the whole armor of God is inspired by his reading of the Old Testament. And he has in mind Isaiah 52, verse 7, a verse he also quotes in Romans 10, verse 17. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. See, the Christian feet marches with firm stability with the message of peace. We march forward in the Christian life, not to slay an enemy, but to give life to the dead as we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. And so we go with the gospel. We proclaim the salvation of God that any sinner can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul told us earlier in Ephesians, he, Christ himself, is our peace. And that Christ has come and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And so do we go with the gospel. The gospel message is one of Christ-announced peace that we take with us as we go about our day. 
But yet as we march on with this evangelistic fervor to the ends of the earth, with this laser focus on the Great Commission, it is our gospel shoes that help protect us against the guerrilla warfare tactics of the enemy that seeks to surprise us and knock us off balance and halt the advance of the gospel. So to withstand his schemes, we need firm footing. But we also be nice to have a shield. And that's exactly what the Lord gives us. Fourthly, the shield of faith. Paul tells us in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You see, the shield helped protect soldiers marching into battle from those fiery darts that would be flung from the bows of a distant enemy. Satan is a coward. He's often unwilling to do battle with us directly. And so one of his chief tactics is to just lob a barrage of arrows into our lives. Suffering, temptations, accusations, failures, doubts. And though he flings his arrows with varying frequency, he never stops. He's always shooting lobs of arrows to attempt to take out the Christian with his fiery darts. And so therefore, Paul tells us that we need to take up our shield, the shield of faith, he says, in all circumstances, all circumstances. We, ha- we can't ever let our guard down. We have to always have our shield up and ready, ready to respond to a surprise attack whenever it might come. Now, it's interesting, the shield that Paul refers to here is the Roman scutum. The Romans had two different shields. There was the small frisbee-like shield that you would use for for close combat. That's not the term that Paul uses here. He uses the term for the larger door-sized shield that covered the whole body. And this shield, the Roman scutum, had two layers of wood with linen and hide in between each layer. And then those two wooden layers were bound top and bottom with iron. And so a soldier could guard his entire body behind the shield if he crouched down behind it. And when he would be marching with other soldiers, as we do in the local church, it produced an an arrow-proof wall of protection. So by the end of the battle, and fighting, marching together with God's people, the the shield of a soldier would look like a pincushion of arrows smelling of ash and wood from the jabs that had been inflicted into the shield. So for the Christian soldier then, faith is a shield of protection against the devil's darts. And what are the sorts of darts that we face day in and day out? Well, the devil has many arrows in his quiver. He shoots the arrow of false guilt, accusing us with intensity as a way of causing us to forget our justification and our righteousness. He shoots the arrow of doubt, tempting us to question God's goodness and promises. He shoots the arrow of lust, attempting to entice us with the eyes of our flesh to sin. He shoots us with the arrow of bitterness to harden our hearts against our fellow soldiers and turn against them. He he tempts us to, he shoots the arrow of sloth, hoping to allure us to sleep, creating an opening for his future attacks. Shoots the arrow of depression, working up such discouragement and despair that we wallow in fear and hopelessness. 
You see, the devil has a quiver full of custom-crafted arrows for every situation, and he is skilled at his aim. And if we fail to hide behind the shield of faith, he will strike us. So how can we protect? What protection do we have against such a skilled and malicious archer? We must take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. When our faith is weak, our shield droops, making us more susceptible to the devil's piercings. So we have to be strong in the Lord. We have to be strong and keep our shield up in all circumstances. We have to take ourselves to God's word each day. Every word of God proves true, the Proverbs say. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so in all circumstances, all circumstances right now, we reaffirm our faith in God's promises, particularly in those moments when the barrage of arrows feels so unrelenting. If there's a, a rain of arrows coming on your life right now, and you just feel those darts are all flinging upon you even now, the shield of faith is essential because we don't know when the enemy strikes. But when those attacks are unrelenting, that's when the shield is most important, isn't it? What's the silliest thing we could do as believers? Well, when Satan strikes, when those arrows are coming down, the most foolish thing we could do is take our shield, throw it down, and run away. That would be a dumb thing to do. You leave yourself open to the exposure of the arrows. No, what do you do when you're facing the attacks, when you're facing the darts? No, you pick up your shield and you cling to it as if your life depends on it. You hide behind it. And when the pound of darts are hitting our shield, we cling to it even tighter. Because we know that it is our faith that will protect us and will cause us to survive. And so too must the Christian cling ever tightly to the promises of God in faith when he is most intensely under attack. The Christian's first line of defense is also the means of his conversion. We are saved by faith, aren't we? We are justified by faith. We are made righteous before God on account of our faith. And so are we sustained by faith as a shield. And if our faith is genuine, it will endure as we hide our lives behind its protection. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 5, 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Remember what it is? Our faith our faith. The Lord is a shield for those who trust him. He will protect us from the darts flung by the enemy, shafts of pride and lust that seek to burrow and burn our flesh into sinful passion. God will protect us from them. And he will protect us from the friendly fire of those who shoot within our own ranks. And though the devil's volleys are so numerous that they at times seem to darken the sun, those who cling to Christ in faith will have the victory. We will not be slain. We will not die on that battlefield. The Most High will be a shelter, a refuge, a fortress. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. It's a fifth piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. So we cling to the shield when the arrows are coming, and they come with such great frequency. But the helmet of salvation protects us from a fatal blow to the head. So Paul urges us to take 
the helmet of salvation. You might have a thick head, but you need the helmet of salvation. The, the, the Roman helmet was made of iron or bronze, covering the entire skull with cheek guards that extended down to covering just about the entirety of a person's face. And the, the, the helmet was so heavy, it was made out of solid metal, that the helmets were so cumbersome that the Romans would put sponges inside the helmet to help offset the weight of that helmet. But why did they wear it? Well, the helmet provided life-saving protection in close combat from a lethal blow to the head. The security provided and by this iron helmet, it gave the soldier added confidence. The same sort of confidence that a young kid might have as he puts a football helmet on and then goes and rams his head into a tree, right? That's the sort of confidence that he has, knowing that he's going to be protected. I can take risks. I can expose myself to danger because I know my, my head is protected. So the protection gives the believer wearing the helmet of salvation great courage to take risks, to charge forward, to poke our heads outside from behind our shields so that we might keep marching forward. But the helmet's ultimate protection was for close combat situations. And it is the security of our salvation in Jesus Christ that gives the Christian great courage to move forward. Yes, we may be wounded by our enemies from time to time. One of his arrows may clip our arms or his sword might crush our foot. But the helmet of salvation preserves our life. Satan may try to execute God's people with a blow to the head, but the helm of salvation keeps our life. As God's elect, redeemed by God's grace, and held secure in his sovereign hand, we need not fear what the enemy can do. The Lord will keep us. As Isaiah writes, no weapon that is formed against you shall succeed. Assurance of salvation is the courage of the saints. Assurance of salvation is the courage of the saints. So spiritual cowardice stems from salvation insecurity. If we are unsure of our standing before God, well, you're going to fight your sin like a whimpering coward. If we think it possible to lose our salvation, then we will not take the risk required of us by our king to march into the unknown parts of the world for the cause of the Great Commission? What warrior fights effectively when he's trembling in anxiety over his death? The spiritual war requires good courage. And that courage comes not from us. It comes from the security of our salvation in Jesus. And will you have the courage to fight the good fight? What will you do when the enemy stands before you in unhinged bloodlust with all the fires of hell burning in his demonic eyes, lapping his lips to devour you? Will you stand your ground? Will you fight with God's valiant strength that comes from his armor? Christian, confrontation with the enemy will come for you if it hasn't already. And there will be seasons in your life when the devil and his horde will forgo the distant shooting of arrows and will come close to confront you in a head-on battle. And before such beasts, what gives the Christian the courage to fight? It is only his unwavering confidence 
in the finished work of Jesus. We know that we are in Christ. We know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that Jesus' strength is inexhaustible. We know that his promises are guaranteed. We know that his authority is unquestioned. And he has given to Jesus a name that is above every name. And his victory is certain, proven true by his resurrection from the dead. And it is in this great assurance of our great salvation that with bold, spirit-empowered confidence that we can put on the helmet of salvation and fight the good fight. And so we charge forward knowing that even though the enemy may regard us as sheep to be slaughtered, with our helm of salvation in Christ, we know that we will live. For we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What courageous act is the Lord calling you today in this spiritual war? Maybe it's the courage to wage war against your pride and confess your sin to another believer. Perhaps it's the courage to confront the twin dragon of discouragement and despair and to be invigorated by the helm of your salvation and with the strength of God to slay them. Maybe it's the courage to step out in faith and choose to fear God over fearing men. Or perhaps it's the courage to confess your struggling marriage, to confess your need for parenting counsel, or to bring to light hidden sexual sin. You see, it's only those who wear the helmet of salvation, only they will have the confidence to be vulnerable the confidence to humble themselves before others, the confidence to ask for help, the confidence to fight. And while the helmet of salvation provides courage for the fight, it would be nice if we had a weapon. And thankfully, the Lord has provided us one, that by we might defend ourselves from our enemy's attacks, we need a weapon, we need a sword. That's the sixth piece of the armor, the sword of the spirit. The final piece of this armor is the sword of the spirit. And look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, it is the spirit's sword that is the Christian's power and ability to block the swings of the enemy and to also give us the power to jab back the enemy into the darkness. So that we are not confused, Paul makes it really clear. What does he mean by the sword of the spirit? Look at what he says, which is the word of God, right? As he tells Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. The, the Bible is the spirit inspired word of God. And so the Christian must cling tightly to his sword and he must learn to wield it effectively in combat against the devil. Learning the scriptures, friends, is a matter of life and death. The word of God is the God-given weaponry to defend ourselves against Satan's attacks. In some of his final words to Israel, Moses said this. He said, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over 
the Jordan to possess. John tells us that if the word of God abides in us, we will overcome the evil one. So Jesus models this for us, doesn't he? He's the great warrior who combats the devil in close combat as he goes into the wilderness in temptation. And in Matthew 4, the the devil tempts Jesus while he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And with each temptation, where does Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. To combat the devil, Jesus' knowledge and memorization of Scripture. He didn't have a Bible app in the wilderness. But his memorization of the Bible enabled him to overcome the evil one. If Jesus used the sword of the word to fight the devil, how much more do you and I need the Scriptures? We, we are serious about training you in the Word of God at Redemption Church. And why is that? Well, it's not because we're interested in making you cerebral Christians so that you can puff yourself up over other believers. Now, if that's our goal, then we might as well just go home and repent of our pride and arrogance. Now, why do we teach the Word? Well, it's because we believe that it is the Word of God that is a sword that effectively accomplishes God's purposes. The scripture pierces to the heart of sinners. It convicts them of sin. It tells them of the hope of the gospel. It pushes back the territory of the kingdom of darkness one soul at a time as we share the scriptures with others. But it also equips the saints to fight their sin, to resist the devil's schemes, and to work with the rest of God's people to advance the kingdom of God in the world. No, we teach the Bible because it is the spirit-empowered word that cuts deeper than any other. It's why I've spent the last 40 minutes or so teaching you from it. It's why we read the Bible so regularly when we're together. It's why we encourage one another and hold each other accountable in our reading, in our studying, in our memorization of Scripture, because the Bible is the sword of the spirit that pushes back the enemy. In Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, we get this conversation, it's an allegory, between Mr. Greatheart and Mr. Valiant for Truth. Mr. Greatheart says, Thou hast worthily behaved thyself, let me see thy sword. And so Valiant takes out his sword and he shows it to him, and Greatheart examines the blade very carefully, and he says, Ha! It is a right Jerusalem blade. And Mr. Valiant for Truth replied, It is so. Let a man have one of these blades with a hand to wield it and skill to use it, and he may venture upon an angel with it. He need not fear its holding if he can, but tell how to lay on. Its edges will never blunt. It will cut flesh and bones and soul and spirit and all. Church, remember the sharpness and the power and the strength that comes from God's word. The word of God is living and active, the author of Hebrews writes. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the intentions and thoughts of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's the word of God. Christian, become skilled at handling the sword of the Spirit, because it alone is the weapon the Lord has given us to enable us to push back our foe. 
Saturate your life with the Bible. Fill your life with its teaching. For every temptation that you face, have a biblical response lined up and ready to go. For every challenge, have a biblical promise. For every discouragement, have a biblical hope. In the spiritual war of our souls, there is no weapon as sharp as the word of God. And if this sword is so effective, is it any wonder then that the enemy has worked so hard in our generation to minimize it? Is it any wonder why he has brought so many visual spectacles in our modern age so that we grow dull with the written word of God? But perhaps the the infinite digital allurements that distract our attention, perhaps this is part of Satan's grand scheme to divert God's people from wielding the sword of the Spirit, to slay them by Netflix. Even Christians are tempted to doubt the authority of God's word, aren't they? To doubt its sufficiency, to exchange the razor-sharp word of God for a dull club of pragmatism. And what a schemer the devil is and is working. When the church is most under attack, most challenged by the culture, he tempts the church to leave the sword of the word in the closet in order to fight him with pop guns and sticks of human ingenuity. Kent Hughes said it best. He says, we are at war and our razor sharp weapon is God's word. And we are fools to keep it in the scabbard simply because our culture says it cannot cut. Christian, take up your Bible. It is your sword. Learn to wield your sword. Read it privately. Read it with others. Hear it preach. Discuss it with others in your community group. Memorize its teaching. Hide it in your heart. Now more than ever, we need the weapon of the Spirit of God. We need his word to fight the battle that lies before us in your life and in mine and in our culture. And so we must put on the whole armor of God. We tighten the belt of truth, making us agile and ready for battle. We strap on the the breastplate of righteousness to protect us from the fiery darts of accusation. We make ourselves ready by strapping on the gospel shoes of peace so that we might stand our ground with firm footing. Against the enemy's darts, raise up the shield of faith in order to extinguish them. And in confidence, we push on forward in close combat with confidence because we have the helmet of salvation that assures us of our life and our ultimate victory. And we fight back the darkness with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And with the whole armor of God, we resist the devil who seeks to devour us. And he will flee because he is no match for the Christian fully equipped in God's armor. Do you have this armor? It is available only for Christians. Without Jesus, you do not have access to this armor. So be warned, friend. The kingdom of darkness wishes to slay you, enslave you to their cause, and entrap you in the power of sin. And you need this armor but you can't wear this armor until you first join the army of the king. It is to God's soldiers that the Lord gives his whole armor. So your response this morning should be to commit treason against the kingdom of darkness 
and to pledge your allegiance to King Jesus this morning, the commander of the army of heaven. Repent of that treason. Repent of your rebellion against the Lord and receive forgiveness of sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his grace, you can put on the king's armor to combat the true enemy so that you might be strong in the strength of Jesus' might. And Christian, are you putting on this armor each day? God's given it to you, not to stare at it in a closet, but for you to put it on, to wear it, to go out into the battle each day. And don't just put on part of the armor, but put on the whole armor of God. Our enemy crouches. He's ready to pounce. When you wake up, remember you have awoken to another day of spiritual war. Dress appropriately. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that you might help us by your strength to stand firm against the devil and his schemes. <coughs> Lord, we confess our powerlessness, but Lord, we are grateful that you have provided strength by giving us your armor. Lord Jesus, we pray for all who know Jesus here that they would indeed prepare themselves to dress appropriately for this fight. But Lord, we do pray for those who do not have this armor, Lord, who are fighting for the opponent, for the enemy. Lord, that you might call them out of darkness into light, that you might cause them to be turned away from their sins and to put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would repent and that they would find salvation in Christ. Lord, we are so grateful for the power of Jesus, for his strength, for his might. And Lord, we ask that you might save sinners this morning, that you might strengthen saints. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.